For those of you who maybe did not know, today on the Jewish calendar is a very important day. Today is Yom Teruah. It's the beginning of the fall festivals. And Yom Teruah, in particular, translates the Feast of Trumpets. Sometimes it's also called Rosh Hashanah, but we'll talk in a moment about why Yom Teruah, or Feast of Trumpets, is the more accurate description or defining point of this particular Jewish holiday. And we're going to look at how it applies to the Church of Jesus Christ. Whether you knew it or not, this morning you have already practiced Yom Teruah. Teruah means trumpet, but it also means blastings or loud noises. And when we praise God this morning and we lifted up our voice and we declared that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord alone, we have already practiced Yom Teruah. So good job, Bethesda. I know. The description of Yom Teruah only occurs two places in the Bible. One is Leviticus chapter 23, verses 24 and 25, and Numbers 29, verse 1. Would you stand with me and let's read the word of God? I need you to stand because you might be sitting for a while. (laughs) And because it's me, you know I'm not joking. (laughs) Leviticus chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering fire to the Lord. Now, Numbers 29, verse 1. Now, in the seventh month, On the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. May God add to the reading of his word by placing within each of us a desire to not just be hearers, but to become doers of his word. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. There are seven biblical feasts in scripture. The Bible does not mention Purim, nor does it mention Hanukkah. Those are two other very popular feasts, but they're not considered to be a part of the biblical feast. The first biblical feast, and probably the one that we are most familiar with, is the feast of Passover. Because Passover reminds us of the death of Jesus. And right on the heels of Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This particular feast speaks of the burial of Jesus. And then in the spring feast, finally, there is First Fruits. And First Fruits boldly declares the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. These three compose the spring feast. They are all within just a few days of each other. Then 50 days after Passover, there's the giving of the law on Sinai. And then in Acts chapter 2, it's called the day of Pentecost. It reminds us that this feast was fulfilled in the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and the birth of the church of which we are very much a part This feast, again, it takes 50 days after Passover. It occurs in the late spring or the early summer. And then there's a long period of time between that late spring, early summer, until the first of Tishri, which happens to be at sundown today, September 25th. And then that starts the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah. This day is called a day of blastings. Now, something that you guys might not know about me, when I was in fifth grade, I joined the band, and the only instrument that I wanted to play was trumpet. So from from fifth grade all the way through 12th grade, I played trumpet. Now, before anyone gets any bright ideas about me doing a trumpet solo or playing in the orchestra, I was never any good at it. Here's why I wanted to play trumpet. It was the loudest instrument in the band. (laughs) 
And there's just something about my need to be loud that the trumpet completely satisfied. But in relationship to the Feast of Trumpets, the day of blasting, the time of loud, bold declaration, there's something within the spirit and the heart of every person that follows Jesus. There are times when what is within us needs to get out of us with a loud shout or a loud blasting. And the day of trumpets, the feast of trumpets is such a moment. This starts the new year on the Jewish calendar, the feast of trumpets. Now, for the Jew, the feast of trumpets is going to be a day of remembrance, also a day declaring that it is a new season or a new year. But for most Christians, when we think of trumpets, we cannot help but think that there is coming a day sooner than any of us could possibly imagine. There is coming a day when there will be the sound of the last trumpet, and when that last trumpet is sounded, we will be caught up with the Lord Jesus, and time will be no more. Hallelujah. This day of Yom Teruah, or Feast of Trumpets, it also starts what's called the Yamim Noraim. The Yamim Noraim is simply the Hebrew way of saying the 10 days of awe. Because with this trumpet blasting, while there's a great sense of festivity, a great sense of expectation, there's also a breathtaking moment of awe. And for 10 days, the next 10 days, People who still practice within Judaism these feasts, they will spend the next 10 days considering their heart and their life before the Lord, seriously asking the Lord God to show them anything within them that does not belong there, showing them if their heart has any wicked way within so that they can repent and come into a right relationship with Jesus, or for the Jews, it would be with God. I think, church, it's time for us to consider the need for a time of awe. A time when we allow the Spirit of God to shine His light within us and to show us just how much of popular culture has leaked its way into our heart and into our soul, driving and pulling us toward that which is not of God. And in fact, pulling us away from that strong, dynamic commitment to the Lord. Well, 10 days after Yom Teruah is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And then right on the hills of Yom Kippur is Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacle. These three, Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, these three compose the Fall Feast. They have not yet been fulfilled in a Messianic context. I believe with everything that is within me that while we may not know the hour, we may not know the day, we may not know the exact time, I believe that God has given within us the ability to discern the season. Now, there's chronos time. That's the tick-tock of a clock. That's the counting of the minutes or the hours or the days or the months. That's chronos time. And then there's Epoch time. Epoch time are those long extended seasons. Era would be another word for it. It could be a day, a week, a month, a millennia. We don't know. Different things require different epochs. But when God deals in seasons, it's called Moadim. And I believe that if we will tune our hearts toward the Lord, he will help us to understand the season that we are a part of. More than any other moment, church, we are at a time where we need to strain our ears toward heaven to hear what the Father is speaking to us as his people. Deception is more intense than I have ever seen it in my lifetime. And I read a lot of history, and even historically, the moment that we are in ranks right up there with some of the most deceptive moments in all of history. There are things that the Bible says are sin and yet we promote them and we exalt them and we set them up on pedestals and we draw people to sin and tell them that that which is wrong is right. 
And then there are those things that we know from a biblical perspective, they are right because God says they are right. And yet we are a part of a global context that's turned that around and is telling us that even when something is right biblically, that it's wrong culturally. And we must be sensitive to the culture that we are a part of because we do not want to be offensive. Here is my commitment. Let everybody be offended that we might be right with God. The Moedim or the season that we are a part of right now, I believe that this day, Yom Teruah, defines that season. Like I've already said, Yom Teruah begins tonight, September 25th, 2022, at sunset, which here in North Texas is going to be around 7.30 p.m. This festival, as I've read for you from the pages of Scripture, this festival is not given any complicated description. It's simply presented as a memorial day, a day of alarms, a day of blastings, a day of trumpets. Now, I have quite a love-hate relationship with alarms. When Stuart and I first got married, one of the first things I discovered about my husband, he doesn't need an alarm clock. I mean, he really doesn't. He wakes up at the same time every morning with a smile on his face and a song. He is one of those people that's actually happy first thing in the morning. And he can go to bed at night looking forward to how good he's going to feel first thing in the morning. I am not said person. And I think he was quite shocked to learn right after we got married, it was before we had alarm clocks on our cell phones, I would set two, sometimes three alarms because I can sleep through an alarm. I can sleep and have slept through tornadoes, earthquakes, and the neighbors having a shootout down the street. I can sleep through just about anything. I have two speeds, on and off. And when I am off, I am completely down until I'm ready to get up. I have to have multiple alarms. This day, Feast of Trumpets, it's an alarm that goes off for the people of God. It's an alarm that declares time has changed. It's an alarm that declares this is a new season that you're in. That's why Yom Teruah is also called Rosh Hashanah or New Year. It is a new beginning, a new year. Old things have passed away and all things begin new with Yom Teruah. So if there are any of you in this morning and you need a passing away of the old and a reaching toward that which is new, today is your day and this is your season. Trumpets as an actual instrument have been used, not just with the Jews, they've been used by military for millennia. I talked to my husband, who happens to be kind of a military, historical military expert in several um, branches. He reminded me that it's the trumpet that announces, or the bugle that announces reveille. Reveille is the first call of the morning, and it happens to be the longest call. I am told that as Reveille is playing, it will be long because by the time it ends, you must be completely dressed and standing in formation by the time it's over. And then there's taps. It's used for flag ceremonies and funerals. And then there's the bugle that sounds the battle charge. It's a call that signals the command to execute a cavalry or an infantry advance. And then there's a call to arms. This is when the troops need to get ready to fight without delay. And then there's one I hope we never have to experience. It's the sound of retreat. And this is a call to remove yourself from battle and to regroup. Ancient Israel's use of and remembrance of trumpet sounds would not have been so different from that. The people would have their ears well, well trained to the various sounds given by the shofar. Their lives could very well depend on hearing and responding to those sounds. One of the songs that we sang this morning, I love your voice. If there's ever been a moment in time 
where we need to love the voice of the Lord, where we need to know the voice of the Lord, where we need to begin to consistently experience the voice of the Lord in our lives, it is in this hour. But Yom Teruah, this day of blasting, this day of alarms. By setting aside this two-day period as a memorial to alarms or trumpets, what are the Israelites supposed to remember? Because to say that it is a memorial calls them to remember something. And it's in the plural. It's not the feast of trumpet. It's the feast of trumpets or alarms or blastings. What are they called to remember? Now, this is Jewish tradition. You will not find it anywhere in the pages of Scripture. But there are times when Jewish tradition just resonates as being right within my heart. The trumpet sounded on the day that God created humanity. According to rabbinic tradition, God created man on this day, making it the first day of the year and connecting this wonderful moment with Rosh Hashanah or the new year and with the trumpet blasting. This day is also connected with the ram that was caught in the thicket. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham and Isaac have gone up to Mount Moriah Abraham's going to offer up his only begotten son to God at the command of God. And there, as he is about to fulfill the command of the Lord, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham looks up and his eyes rest on a ram caught in the thicket. And there in that place, Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God has provided. And he offers the ram instead of his son. According to rabbinic tradition, the horns from that ram became the shofars that were blown in Israel. Reminding them that there was going to come a day when there would be another sacrifice made so that there would need to be no other sacrifices made. And we all know that that ultimate sacrifice was made on Calvary so that now there are no needs for sacrifices to be made any longer because we are right with the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. The sounding of the trumpet or the shofar would call forth a new season, a new year, a new beginning. Implied in the blowing of this trumpet is a witness that God is a sovereign creator and ruler of all. And it also, again, commences the 10 days of awe. Now, throughout scripture, creation, again, is rabbinic tradition, but throughout the pages of scripture itself, I'm just going to take you on a quick cruise so to speak, of other times throughout the Old Testament when the blowing of the trumpets took place. In Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, the trumpets were blown and the people needed to gather. Saul blew a trumpet to call the Israelites together in 1 Samuel 13. The trumpet will be sounded to call the people back to the Lord in repentance in Hosea chapter 5. It will be the trumpet that calls the redeemed, the people of God, together in the catching away of the church in 1 Corinthians 15 and also in Matthew chapter 24. So the gathering of the people and a reminder of creation. The trumpet was also sounded, according to Numbers chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, when the camp that was moving through the wilderness was supposed to move from one place to the other. Psalm 68 I think reflects or echoes that cry. Psalm 68 begins with, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. We know that if we go back into the book of Exodus, that Moses, when the camp needed to move from one place to another, the trumpets would blow and Moses would walk through the camp and he would cry out, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. It was time for Israel to move. Church, I believe that if you will lean your ears toward heaven this morning, you will hear that cry. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. It's time for the church to move. It's time for the church to move beyond offense. 
It's time for the church to move beyond petty arguments. It's time for the church to move beyond defenses and all the other things that occupy our time. It's time for us to move into that place where we are in a right relationship with Jesus and we have love one for another. It's time for us to come into that place of unity, that place of commanded blessing. Do you hear the trumpet sounding this morning? It's time to gather. It's time to move. Numbers 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 9. The trumpet blew when there was a call to war. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 19, and we've been looking at the armor of God. And one of the things that we discover in Ephesians chapter 6 is that our war is not out here. Our war is in our headspace. And when this war is won, when vain imaginations and high lofty thoughts are pulled down and brought into the truth of God's word, then whatever's going on out here will just fall into place. The war that we face is a war that has already been won in Christ Jesus. That's why Ephesians 6 is going to say three times, stand firm. Stand, I say, stand firm over and over again. Some of you aren't standing. Some of you are running off trying to fight the battle on your own. Some of you are running around thinking that you can fix it and you can solve it. Let me know how that works for you. Because I think at the end, you'll step back and go, Jesus, this battle belongs to you. And I stand. I stand firm in the knowledge and in the faith of who you are and what you have done for me through Christ Jesus. Creation, the gathering of the people. It's time to move the camps of Israel. A call to war. In Numbers 10.10, it's the announcement of the arrival of the festivals or the announcement of Moadim, the changing of the season. In Exodus chapter 19, the trumpets blasted at the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. In Joshua chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7, the trumpets sounded to proclaim victory and to confuse the enemy. Do you know that when we lift up our voices in praise, do you know that even in the midst of difficult circumstances and situations, do you know that even when your life is upside down and rugs have been pulled out from beneath your feet, when you lift up your voice and you declare the greatness of Jesus, you are confusing the enemy. And he doesn't know what to do. Church, it's time to sound the trumpet. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 39, the trumpet sounded when the king was going to be coronated. We know that many kings, earthly kings, have been crowned as monarchs. We have right now in England a new monarch that's about to ascend to the throne. But there's coming a day when another trumpet is going to be sounded. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will receive his rightful place as the Lord and heir to all that is. In Psalm chapter 150, verse 3, the sounding of the trumpet is a call to worship. We started off this morning with a call to worship and the trumpet sounded. In Jeremiah chapter 4 and Joel chapter 2, the trumpet sounded signaling that there was danger. There are several other reasons that trumpets sounded throughout the Old Testament. But can I tell you that if you just lean your ear toward the Lord, you would hear his trumpet sounding. Church times have changed. We're in a new season. What worked over here is not going to work so well over here. What you got away with over here, you're not going to get away with over here because God's calling us to another level of maturity. He's calling us to another level of walking in rightness with him. There are many warning signals or alarms that are given in the New Testament. Far more than I can even begin to list for you this morning. But I sense the nudge of the Holy Spirit to talk with you in these last few moments about six alarms, and all six of them are found in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a book 
We don't know who wrote it. I've got my theories. It's not Paul. I like to say that I believe that maybe Priscilla wrote it, even though I actually don't believe that, but I do like to be contrary. On What are you guys laughing at? Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, this person wrote to a group of Christians that were about to step in to an era of unprecedented suffering. They were a people about to step in to suffering from without by an evil Roman political system that's going to try and put them to death. So they had pressures from without and then they had pressures from within to where there were false teachers, Judaizers, heretics, people from within who were preaching for their own greedy gain and own manipulative person uh, reasons. Persons who were looking to control and lord it over others. They had pressings from without and pressings from within. I think we can identify with this group of people. We are receiving pressings, not just in this country, but we are receiving pressings from without. A cultural, a global cultural system that is not pro-Jesus and the things of Scripture. And they press in on us. It presses in on us in our school systems. It presses in on us in university settings. It presses in on us in popular press and books that are being written. It presses in on us through the entertainment and the movies and the conversation and all the social media that comes at us with such great number in this moment. We are being pressed from without, to where if you are someone who stands up and says there's only one way to the Father and it's through Jesus Christ the Son, to boldly publicly make that declaration is no longer without consequences. There are people that will think that you are unlearned, uneducated, deceived, that you have, I have been told that I have drank the Kool-Aid. And my response is maybe so, but it was the right Kool-Aid. We are a people being pressed from without, but we are also being pressed from within. If you look at Christianity at large, there's so many different things being said, so many different ideas that are out there, some of them just crazy things. That's why we've got to be a people of the book. We've got to know what the Bible says. And then we've got to have the Holy Spirit there with us, giving us illumination and revelation. So six warnings from the book of Hebrews. I'm going to list all six of them, and then I want to, one by one, take these warnings and unpack them for us. Because these are six trumpets that are blowing right now within the midst of the people who call themselves followers of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 1, do not drift from the truth. That's warning number one. Warning number two, from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, and then to 12 and 13, do not doubt the word of God. So drift and then doubt. The third one, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, do not become dull of hearing. So drift, doubt, and dullness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not become disconnected with the body of Christ. The fifth one, Hebrews 10, 29, do not disrespect the salvation that has been purchased for you. And finally, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, do not deny the Lord. Let's start by talking about drifting. The passage exactly says in Hebrews 2.1, For this reason, we must pay close attention, much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. This word drift is a nautical term, meaning that it was a term used by people who were sailors or professional fishermen or people who dealt in ships a great deal of their time. It's a nautical term. It simply means or references a small boat that has floated away because it was not anchored nor tied off. A small boat can float away because of wind. 
And sometimes there are the winds of life and the winds of culture that will blow on you and cause you to move away from the truth. Sometimes you drift because of storms. Storms can become so crazy, so turbulent, so strong, so intense that they move you away. One of my favorite movies, and don't laugh, it's not science fit, well, kind of it is. It's definitely fantasy. It is that old movie with Helen Hunt in it called Twister. They're out chasing tornadoes. And finally, they get an F5 category tornado, and it's coming right for them. And what do they do? They have to get these leather straps or belts, and they find an old gas line that goes some 25-plus feet below the ground, and they tie themselves to this gas line. And then here comes the tornado. And you see Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt kind of flopping around in the wind, but they're anchored. I've watched that, and I think my fascination with that movie is this. I know what that feels like. Have you ever had a storm come into your life that lifted your feet off the ground, flopped you around in the wind, and you weren't sure if you were going to be thrown down somewhere a hundred miles away or not? Those storms come into our life, and they can cause us to drift if we're not anchored to something that's bigger than we are. A truth that runs deeper than our imagination. Wind can cause you to drift. Storms can cause you to drift. Then there's just the natural ebb and flow of tides. And then there are those dangerous unseen currents that are beneath the surface. Drifting can happen to anyone at any time. We all drift from time to time. Sometimes in small amounts, and that's normal, and it's not really threatening at all as long as you immediately correct it. Growing up in Alabama, one of the quickest and probably most popular vacation destinations was Panama City Beach, Florida. And right after high school, me and two of my really good friends, we decided that we were going to drive to Panama City Beach, Florida. We got permission from our parents to do it. And we're out on the beach and we're having a great time. Because if you've ever been to Panama City Beach, you know that the beaches are really pretty there, as well as in Destin and some other places. So I'm noticing that there is this guy at the time I'm in my late teens, this guy is in his 30s, and I'm thinking he's really old. So there's this older guy that's out there, and I think he had maybe had some chemical help from the night before, but he was not exactly conscious of everything going on around him. He got out in the, in the water on one of those little floats, and what he didn't know because he fell asleep what he didn't know is that float got caught in a current, and by the time he woke up, he was a pretty good distance, maybe a half mile or more away from the beach, out into the middle of the ocean. And he began to cry for help. I don't need chemical help. I can find myself in that situation just like that if I am not anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ. Drift can take us. And sometimes we don't even know that we've drifted until we wake up and then we are in the middle of a place that we do not even recognize. The first warning is against drifting. Church, it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift from that which you know to be true. It's easy to drift from those habits that we work hard to develop in our lives. A habit of being in God's word, a habit of praying, a habit of coming together to worship corporately with the body of Christ, a habit of asking Jesus to guide your steps and to direct your heart for his honor and his glory. It's easy to drift from those basic essential truths. But drift will lead to doubt. It starts with a drift and it moves to doubt. So the second warning cry, the second trumpet blast is for doubt. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Unbelief is an act of rebellion. It is not some innocuous 
neutral attitude, it is an act of rebellion. Go to the book of Numbers. Read the story about the 10 spies that were sent to search out the land and to bring back a report to Moses. They come back and 10 of the spies have a negative report and only two, Joshua and Caleb, say, hey, it, it's, it's, you know, full of the enemy, but we are full of God. Let's go get them. And the 10 came back and said they're bigger than we are and they think that we are grasshoppers in their sight. If we do this thing, then we are going to get killed. And their doubt and unbelief Moses even refers to it as rebellion and says to them, why have you committed this rebellious act against the living God? Church, it's easy to doubt. It is. It's easy to come up with what we can call our rational list of questions. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what if this? And what if that? But when God calls us to believe, I don't have to believe in the circumstances and situations. I can reach out beyond me, my stuff, and my time and go, I believe in you. I believe in you. I don't know about this other stuff, but I believe that you are the one true living God and you are good and you are compassionate and you are kind and you are faithful. And I believe that. Circumstances and situations can lie to me, but I hold fast to those truths. If you harden your heart and you refuse to believe the word of God, then you are intentionally choosing to rebel against God. Some of you may be saying, lady, that's hard. Well, the truth usually is. Tony Campolo years ago said, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. (laughs) There's drifting, there's doubt, and then there's dullness. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain to you since you have become dull of hearing. What causes us to become dull of hearing? Well, I mean, at my age, the obvious first answer is age. As we age, we lose our ability to hear as clearly as we once heard. Now, thanks to all the hard, loud rock and roll I listened to as a young person, my ears are still in good shape. (laughs) Not (laughs) age by just the natural progression of time can cause us to become dull of hearing. I don't mind aging in the natural. I just don't want to be old in the things of the spirit. I don't want to age in the things of the Spirit. Mature, yes. Get old, no. You know how you can tell someone that's become dull of hearing? When you share the vision that God's dropped within your heart or you share a word that he's given to you from the scripture, they go, yeah, I still hear that. That's not what I'm hearing. And we can all say it and we can all hear that response from other people. So age can be a factor in the dulling of our hearing. Also environmental, people who work in environments with loud, ongoing, harmful levels of noise, they lose their hearing. When you go to the airport and you see those guys out there around the big, loud engines of the plane, what are they wearing? Earmuffs, because to be constantly inundated with that loud, ongoing sound will cause you to become dull of hearing. Also, injury, pressure in your ear, build up in your ear, infection and disease. All these things can cause you to become dull of hearing. The fourth warning. I'm preaching to the choir, literally, as I look at you guys. But this message is for you and for anyone that you speak with. Do not become disconnected with the body of Christ, which is the local church. Romans 10, Romans, Hebrews 10, 25 says it clearly. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Encourage each other all the more as you see that day approaching. Why do we go to church? Why is it important that if we are able to turn off 
the satellite or live stream and get ourselves here in the real-time physical body of Christ. And for those of you watching online, please do not take this as an insult. I am glad that you are watching. But there are many people who could be, should be, ought to be here in this house this morning. But because they wanted to stay in their yoga pants... They're not here. Now, that's probably a little blunt, but it's me. What did you expect? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, it's the story of David bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, back into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant has been separated from the people of God and the center of worship for over a generation, approximately 70 years. And it was David who said, oh no, this, I will have this no longer because the worship of the living God requires the presence of the living God and we will not go through the mechanics any longer. We need that which represents the manifest presence of God. Bring the Ark home. He has a trial and an error. But David gets back up again and goes back at it again, God's way. And this time, as the ark is coming in, you know the story. David rips off his clothes down to his underclothes, and he begins to dance wildly in the presence of the Lord. Everybody was worshiping, but there was one person watching from a window. It is dangerous to watch worship from a window. Because when you watch worship from a window, you tend to become a critic of what you're watching and not a participator. You tend to view what you're watching as an act of entertainment and not as the source of your spiritual ongoing maturity and well-being. It's time to connect with the body of Christ. Everyone needs a local body that they are vitally connected to. And here's why. You need to be in a local body to hear the preaching of the Word of God because that is vital to your spiritual well-being and your growth. I know that there are thousands, tens of thousands of sermons on YouTube and other forms of social media, but it's not the same as being in the house, present, when that Word is going forth. The preaching of the Word of God, it brings about vital growth spiritually and a spiritual sense of well-being. Also, it's important that we participate in corporate worship. I have been healed emotionally. God has dealt with me and touched my life more times than I can even begin to recount sitting right there in that spot next to my husband as we sang a song and God brought something to my remembrance. And it wasn't just the song, it was the sound of the body of Christ ringing out the words of that song. How many times in worship have I looked up in the choir loft and I've seen men and women that I know who have personally gone through very dark, difficult, painful moments and yet they're up there with their voices raised to the Lord and their hands lifted high because they're worshiping their way through some of the worst seasons in their life and it encourages me. If you're not a part of a local body, you don't know those kinds of details about people and their lives. It's important that we participate in corporate worship. Third reason we need to gather together, we need to learn to live in community. When I was 20 years old and I was quite immature and young in the things of God and life in general, I got mad at some people at the church that I was a part of in Alabama. And as I drove away from that church parking lot, I said to the Lord, well, I'm not going back there. They've hurt my feelings for the last time. And you know, God, me and you can get along just fine. As a matter of fact, there is nothing wrong with me. They're the ones with the problem. The Lord revealed to my heart that in the body of Christ, my stuff gets revealed to me. And as we do life together, if you're easily offended, that speaks more about you than it does about the person who probably inadvertently offended you. 
There are people who haven't gone to church for years because someone did not give them the right look. And they're absolutely, it's not funny, this is, this is the truth. And they have stayed away from the corporate body of Christ because they are just sure that no one there likes them. And that no one sat next to them because they didn't like them. Do you know what? Again, with all the love in my heart, get over yourself. It's time to grow up. It's a trumpet blast that's, gro that's growing louder and louder. Church, we can't be offended to continue on with these petty things that keep us separated from each other and ultimately separated from a loving Heavenly Father who wants to heal and deliver us and break through in our lives. It's in the gathering of the body of Christ that we discover and exercise our spiritual gifts. It's in the body of Christ that we are encouraged and we are able to encourage others. It's in the body of Christ that we are able to find and to observe godly mentors. It's in the gathering of the people of God that our children are trained, not only in children's church with Brenda, but they're able to know on Sunday, that's when mom and dad go to church. That's when they worship Jesus. This is what we do on Sunday because when you train your children to love Jesus and to love the body of Christ, guess what happens when they grow up? They stay connected to the church of Jesus. We go to church because we need to be a light to our community. We go to church to pray for and to strengthen each other. But most important of all, we go to church because God commands it. And that's really the only reason that we need. The fourth warning, do not become disconnected with the body of Christ. The fifth warning, Disrespect for the salvation that's been purchased for you. How much more severe punishment do you think he will receive who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? It all starts with a drift. You don't get to this place at first. It all starts with a drift. Then there's denial, the final and the sixth warning. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns them from heaven. It all starts with a drift. All these horrible positions and their outcomes start with a simple drift. A drift can be discomfort, maybe because God's dealing with stuff and you don't like it. It all starts with carnal desires. I would rather do this than be in the Word of God. I would rather do that than gather together for corporate worship. And then spiritual laziness. I just don't want to do it. I need a break. I just need a break. I just need a break to sit here and to binge watch. We become relaxed with Bible study. We become neglectful of church attendance. We become a watcher instead of a participator in worship. I wonder, in 1758, when Robert Robinson wrote his song, Come Thou Fount, I wonder if he had drift in mind. You guys know the words. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wondering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Save it for thy courts above. I love that song because that song speaks to me. Anybody can drift. And most of us at some point in our life, we will experience at least some measure of drifting. But see, there's an easy cure for drifting. The cure for drifting 
is to have an anchor. The book of Hebrews also says that we are anchored behind the veil. I am anchored to one who is bigger than me. I am anchored to one who has been, who is, and will forever be. I am anchored to one who knows my past, my present, and my future. I am anchored to one who cannot be moved by storms. I am anchored to one whose throne cannot be shaken. I am anchored. I am anchored. And so I stay in the word and I stay in worship. I am anchored. So I stay in church and I stay in fellowship with other believers. I am anchored and I stay humble and I stay quick to repent. And hear this, I am anchored. I stay under authority. On this day of trumpets, let the alarms be sounded in your life. It's time for sleepers to wake up and it's time for drifters to be anchored. All the trumpet blast in the history of Israel and even the church is culminated with a final and the last great trumpet. No one can predict the exact day, but we can be sure of this. It's closer today than we were yesterday. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 says, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, and surely it is near. I wonder if you are here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you have never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then the only trumpet you need to hear is the trumpet cry of today is the day of salvation. Today is your day of salvation. If you've drifted from your first love, then today is the day of hearing the alarm for repentance and action. If you are an active follower of Jesus, then lean your ear in the direction of heaven. You just might hear the alarm of heaven going off, declaring it's time to bring the family home. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna ask some of the members of the prayer team if you would quickly come forward. If you are in this place this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're not ready for the things that are about to happen. You're not ready for the things of life. And dear Lord, you are certainly not ready for death. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, one of these people want to pray with you and tell you how to have that relationship with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Marty, I've drifted. I'm not where I need to be. I know the Lord, but I've drifted. Then today's your day. Have one of these people pray for you and let God bring you back to that place of being anchored with him. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you love us enough to sound off an alarm. We are asking you, my Father, to let your people hear the trumpet as it's being blown in the church, even in this moment. That, Father, you would call us forth to a new day and a new season. That we would be people that belong to you. And that we would be a people anchored to you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus.